Amen. That's one of those songs that uh, is so perfectly fitting for our message this morning. And while it's on the top of our minds, before I pray, I want you to think about the words that we just sang, because it's going to be applicable to what we, we hear this morning. Like a rushing of a mighty wind, fill our hearts again and let it overflow. Powerful words this morning as we look at what happened at Pentecost. So let me pray for us as we enter into a time of word this morning. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the fact that we can call on your spirit, Father, and he can move amongst us. Thank you, Father, for the filling that you happened at Pentecost, Father, for the empowerment that happened. We thank you for the spirit. We thank you. We give you the praise. Father, I do pray that it fills us up and that we can overflow in that. Father, and that we can have joy in our worship because we remember what you did for us. Father, we do want to thank you and praise you for the fact that we can be here together today and have the freedoms and celebrate the freedoms that we have to, to hear your word proclaimed and to sing your praises. We thank you for those lives that were lost, Father, for our freedoms, who, who sacrificed for us. We praise you for them. Thank you for our veterans that are here with us. Father, that we can have the freedoms that we have Father, to not only sing your praises, but hear your word proclaimed. Father, I pray that you speak through me this morning. I pray that my lips are your lips, my heart is your heart, Father. And that we won't be just hearers of the word, but we will be doers of it as well. I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, happy Memorial Day again to each and every one of you. Glad that we're here. You're here with us uh, on Memorial Day. Uh, We are also celebrating uh, Pentecost Sunday. Somebody asked me this week, isn't it great? There's, what's the theological significance of Memorial Day and Pentecost? And I said, I have none. There, I don't know of any. But it happens to fall on the same Sunday. So it's wonderful that we can celebrate both things. As we, as we celebrate Memorial Day, remember the lives that were lost. But as we, as we look to uh, this Sunday, it's Pentecost Sunday, and we, we look to uh, this passage. As you can see in the graphic behind me, we, we're, we're starting a new series called Acts, a young church in action. If you've been with us the past number of weeks, probably a few months, you know that we were in a series called uh, Face to Face with Jesus, where we looked at various encounters that Jesus had uh, on his time here on earth, various encounters. And I don't know about you, but I was particularly blessed by a number of those encounters because I can, I can see myself in, in many of those instances. And it's fitting that we look at Acts now because Acts really is, is the connecting link between what Christ's life and the letters uh, throughout the rest of the New Testament. We really can't understand the letters of the New Testament without really undergoing through Acts. And so it's really fitting that coming off that face-to-face series that we're going to look at Acts, we're going to look at Acts for the next number of weeks throughout the rest of, uh, throughout the rest of this summer. But it, it's important that we look at that because this is really where the, where the church was established and organized. The Holy Spirit came and empowered them uh, to serve. It's where the, where the people really, uh, the Spirit came and the, the Spirit moved amongst them. And they, they were able to go out and be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all parts of the earth. And we're going to see this unfolding throughout the book of Acts. We're going to look this morning as we are uh, at Acts chapter 2 at the Pentecost. And we're going we're to explore through Acts. We could be in Acts for the next uh, two years if we wanted to be. But we're going to look at Acts and look how uh, the church grew and developed. We're going to look at uh, uh, Peter's ministry, Paul's ministry. We're going to look at uh, various encounters that they had. 
Some of the persecution that happened for the church. The growth of the church of the missionary journey. So we're going we're gonna to be on that and embark upon that starting today throughout the rest of uh, the summer. And it's really fitting as we, as we title this series, A Young Church in Action, as we look at our own young church in action, Christ Church at Grove Farm. You know, this summer, uh, this year, we're really celebrating our 20th anniversary. Uh, and it's amazing to see what God has done in 20 years here at Christ Church. And we're going to be celebrating that as we look at Acts, our young, young church in action. So what's going to happen over the next number of weeks is not only are we going to be we're looking at Acts, but we're going to be celebrating a lot of those things that, uh, that are happening here at Christ Church. A lot of our ministries, uh, our partnerships that we have over the next number of weeks. We're going to talk to uh, have a, a Founders Sunday where we talk to our own founders of Christ Church and the, the kind of development of our own church. Look at various ministries that we have, our youth and our children's program, as we really celebrate that. Our young church in action as we celebrate what's happening in Acts. And then we're going to have, it's going to really culminate on July 19th. And you're going to hear more about this as we approach that Sunday, our Celebration Sunday. Where we're all going to come together on that one Sunday and have one serve, one combined service that Sunday. Wilson Hall Sanctuary, everybody together. And we're really going to have a wonderful time of celebration, followed by a picnic afterwards where we can celebrate that. And then we're going to look ahead uh, after that time. And we're going to look ahead as to not only celebration of Christ Church, but what's next for Christ Church. So uh, I encourage you to stay with us throughout the summer and uh, make sure you're following along with us. Because as we approach these Sundays, there's going to be some special things that we're doing uh, within our services. So uh, make sure you uh, take note of that as we move forward. But as we, as we look at this passage today, I'm going to encourage you to turn your Bibles with me. We're in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. A long passage. I'm glad that uh, Ron was here uh, reading um, some of those other nations that uh, I had trouble pronouncing, so I'm glad Ron did that, so uh, thank you for that. But what we're going to do this morning is really look at, at Pentecost, and it's easy, church, to look at this passage of Pentecost and look at it as simply a historic event, as something that happened back then, but doesn't apply to us today. And we're going we're gonna to see that as this unfolds, that we really can apply uh, Pentecost uh, to today. But really, the, the second chapter in the book of Acts really marks a turning point in the history. You know, in chapter 1, we didn't uh, have a chance to look at chapter 1 of Acts, but... Jesus was talking to the disciples about waiting for the Spirit to come. We'll see that in Acts chapter 1, verse 5. It says, For John the Baptist baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So in chapter 1, what's happening is Jesus is saying, wait for the Holy Spirit to come. In chapter 2, he does come. In chapter 1, the the disciples were equipped. In chapter 2, they're empowered. In chapter 1, they're held back. Jesus says to them, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for the Spirit. They're held back. In chapter 2, what happens? They're sent forth. They scatter. They, God moves them to all parts of the world. In chapter 1, we see the Savior ascended into heaven. In chapter 2, we see the Spirit descending on earth. So there's really a connecting link between chapter 1 and chapter 2. And what had happened is, uh, as you see there, chapter uh, 2, verse 1, says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So what's happening is they're celebrating Pentecost. Pentecost is, is uh, 50 days uh, after 
uh, Passover time, and it really was a celebration. This was, they were celebrating, they were all together, and Pentecost really means 15th. And it, they're celebrating the Feast of Weeks, or Feast of Harvest. Okay, so that's what Pentecost is. Uh, in post-exilic times, they were also um, celebrating the, the law given to Moses. The idea is the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of Harvest, is what they're celebrating. So understand, Jesus died at the time of Passover. He ascended 40 days later, and then 10 days after that, the Spirit comes at Pentecost. Now understand, what's happening here is at Pentecost, what happened, the Feast of the Harvest, the Feast of the Fruits, is that what traditionally what would happen is people would come because of the harvest and give their first fruits, okay, as an offering. And in completing the fulfillment of the feast, the Spirit came at Pentecost, the first fruits, that's why 1 Corinthians 15.20 makes a lot more sense when it says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who had fallen asleep. So that's the idea. It's the first fruits. It's the giving. So the Spirit came at the time of Pentecost. And what happens is Luke says, the author of the Bible says, It was a sound like the blowing of the violent wind came. Now understand, church, this was not a weather phenomenon. It, was, it sounded like that. There's been many uh, folks that I've talked to throughout my time in ministry who said, you know, they were, they were praying for the Holy Spirit to move them, and a wind came and literally blew in front of their face, and they felt like that was a sign. This was the sound like a wind. Understand that wind and fire really company, uh, are common biblical symbols for uh, the Spirit. In fact, in Greek and Hebrew, understand that the word wind uh, the spirit can also mean wind or breath. So wind or breath can also mean spirit. That's why Ezekiel 37 says, In the valley of dry bones, wind and breath came and gave life to dried up bones. After the Lord said, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. So wind and breath are spirit. That's why I love the song we just sang, Like a Mighty Wind. Then what happens in verse 2, you'll see there, it says that it fills the whole house where they were, they were, they were sitting. Now understand, many scholars would uh, look at this and say, uh, understand that uh, prayer was not uh, done usually sitting down. It was either standing or kneeling. So this was accompanied uh, by, a, it was a random, uh, sudden encounter. Not random, it was very sudden. The Spirit came and it was sudden. What happened in verse 3? They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So two things happened. Two things happened. They all came to one place, and what happened? The Spirit came, and they all began to speak in other tongues. Now, you have to understand that this speaking in other tongues is differentiated from 1 Corinthians 13, when it talks about speaking in tongues. Why? Because that speaking in tongues was a language that nobody can understand. Here, they were declaring the wonders of God in their own tongues. If you see that uh, in uh, verse, uh, uh, excuse me, they were speaking, uh, uh, no, verse 8. Th- then how is it that each of us hear them speaking in our own native language? So they understood what was being was spoken here. What you have to understand is we have to really differentiate at this point the difference between being filled with the Spirit and being baptized with the Spirit. There's a lot of controversy on that. There's a lot of confusion on that. But what you have to understand is that being baptized with the Spirit is an act by Christ by which he places the believer into his body. It's a one-time event. Romans 6, 4 says, We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, 
from, the, from death through the glory of the Father, we too may have life. So baptism is a single, unrepeatable act on God's part. Some view baptism as a spirit as a way to, for uh, Christians to enter some kind of elite status. But you have to understand that baptism was not meant to divide the body, but was meant to unify the body. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, We are baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We're all given one spirit to drink. At the same time, being filled with the spirit is an experience that we should be continuous. That's why we sang that song in the, in the choir, the offertory song, Come and Fill Us Again. It should be continuous. It should be all the time. You have to understand that on the day of Pentecost, the people were filled, but they were again filled in Acts 4, as we'll see. If you remember the stoning of Stephen, Stephen was the first martyr. He was a man, what, full of faith and spirit. Yet in Acts 7, it records him being filled again. Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 9. And again in verse 13, in chapter 13. So being filled with the Spirit is something that should happen often. We need to constantly be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord always, giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. We need to constantly be filled with the Spirit. He needs to dwell in us. There was a one... Once a young child whose mother was talking to him in the same passage that you need to be filled with the Spirit. You need to, the Spirit needs to dwell in you. And she asked if the child knew what she meant. The child said, yes. And he said to his mother, if the Spirit dwells in me, as you say, that I hope he likes tacos because that's what he's getting tonight. That child got it. It needs to dwell in us at all times. We need to be filled with the Spirit. But one thing that's interesting as we look at being filled with the Spirit is in order to be filled, you first have to be emptied. You can't be filled with the Spirit but be full of everything else. If you're with us for the Truth Project in between services, we were talking about finding fulfillment. People find fulfillment in all kinds of things. They think that they're fulfilled by their careers or their families or their status. And they fill their lives with things, our houses, our cars, our finances, our status. We fill our lives with all of these things. My question to you, church, is how could you be filled with the Spirit if you're trying to fill your life with everything else? The only way that you could be filled with the Spirit is you first have to be empty. You first have to be emptied. How do we empty ourselves? It involves being selfless, dying to our own sin, confessing our sin to him, and asking the Lord to fill us up and use us mightily. We've got to be filled. We've got to empty ourselves and be filled with him. He's the only one that we're going to find fulfillment in. Being, a holy, being fulfilled, filled with the Holy Spirit results in many things. Thankfulness, worship, submissiveness, and obedience. So then what happens, as, as you look back at the passage here, so those who heard God, they heard God praising their own language, they were devout Jews from every nation under heaven. And then uh, it lists the nations given in verses 9 through 11, giving us really insight into the message spreading. And you can see there, all the nations that came. Well, one of the things that you need to look at is verse 7. It says, utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? This is where we do a little back study. Understand the Galileans weren't looked upon as um, 
weren't looked upon well. They were looked down upon. They were looked at unsophisticated. The folks in Jerusalem looked at the folks in Galilee and said, those folks aren't sophisticated. They aren't at the same status we are. They were looked down upon. There's a lot of examples of why they were looked down upon or how they looked down upon. One was when Philip was telling Nathaniel that he found the, the Messiah in John. Nathaniel replied, can anything good come out of Galilee? When Nicodemus, we, we looked at Nicodemus a few weeks ago with a face-to-face encounter. What happens after the encounter with Nicodemus? Nicodemus goes to the leaders and tries to defend Jesus. And the leaders say to him, Aren't, are, are you from Galilee as well? Search and see that no prophet would come out of Galilee. So the folks in Galilee, they're kind of looked down upon. They're, they're, not as, they're not as maybe sophisticated or smart as the ones in Jerusalem. So what's the significance of that? We see that God broke the earthly stereotypes and used people that may not have uh, been thought of as well, well off or, or sophisticated or, or could have ever been used by God. God used those people. It was a historic event. So then we see the reaction to verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them. They had too much wine. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, addressed the crowd, fellow Jews. And all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say to you. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says what? I will pour out my spirit upon you. If you look down at verse 21, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, says Peter, will be saved. Well, we're going to look more next week at the rest of uh, Peter's address to the crowd. Understand that 3,000 people, 3,000 people gave their life to the Lord that day. 3,000. So how do we bridge the context of this? Well, first off, we have to understand that many people would say this is the birth of the church. This is the birth of the church. Acts 2 is the birth of the church. I'm going to encourage you that this is not necessarily the birth of the church. This is where the church was empowered. See, the church, the church means ecclesia, and it takes on different meanings in the Bible. But it really means the body of Christ, an instrument of service. So if that's what that means, then we understand that the church was really functioning before then because people were being used by him. They were, they were a body of Christ. But what happens here is the Spirit comes and allows them to grow. They were empowered to do so. So we understand that the relationship of the Spirit to the members of the body became much more personal at Pentecost, didn't it? More of a personal experience. This is really what makes Christianity different than many of the other religions. You know, we look at the other religions, you look at the, the founders of those religions, they died and that was it. And so you have people living a dedicated life to following the rules they set in place in order to gain entrance into eternity or wherever they think they'll go. Christianity is different because it's much more a personal experience. Not only did Christ die, but he raised, raised again three days later. And then his spirit ascended to us so that we can have a personal relationship with him. We are adopted sons and daughters of him. That's where we find significance, church. The fact that we are adopted sons and daughters. That we can have a relationship with him. It's a personal experience. Secondly, Pentecost signaled that we as believers have a new power for ministry. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. 
And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We, therefore, as a church, need God's anointing, don't we? You know, all the things that we're going to look at over the next number of weeks with our own church and the ministries and the supportive ministries that we've come alongside, our partner ministries, what's happening to our youth and children, we do not personally take credit for that. We give all the credit to the Spirit. Because we need God's anointing. Nothing would, ha- would have happened if we didn't have God's Spirit moving amongst us. None of this would have taken place, this building, these pews, this church, if the founders of the church didn't have God's Spirit moving amongst them. And that's why we are constantly praying, God's Spirit, move amongst us this morning. Use us mightily. We pray that your will is done and not our own. Use my lips, Father. Use my heart. We need God's anointing. Thirdly, we see the Pentecost really breaks the barriers, doesn't it? Really breaks the barriers. It's interesting when you think of Pentecost. We look at that passage, we see that everybody came together because they heard one another speaking in their own language. And then we'll see that they're sent out into all corners of the world, proclaiming the gospel. Pentecost, you have to understand, is a reversal of what happened at Babel. If you remember Babel in the Old Testament in Genesis, what happened? Everybody came together and they said, let's build ourselves a city. Let's build a tower to reach the heavens. What were they doing? They were trying to find significance in building a tower to reach the heavens. And what happened? God came down and confused their language and sent everybody away, speaking a different language. What happens here at Pentecost is a reversal. Now people are speaking different languages and people come. And then they're sent out to go and proclaim the gospel. It's a new level of significance. They understand that they're adopted sons and daughters, and they can go out. They don't need to build a tower for significance. The Holy Spirit's on them, empowered to go and preach the gospel. So how do we apply it? How do we apply it? Again, we often look at Pentecost, Pentecost Sunday. We go, yeah, we're going to read Pentecost, uh, the passage of Pentecost, but how does that apply to us as a church? How do we use what's happening here? Let me again encourage you that it's not just a historical, uh, 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 historical account of what happened. We can apply that. How do we apply it? First, we have an intimacy with God and therefore joy and worship. We have an intimacy with God and therefore joy and worship. Like I said, many other religions, is even, even some folks in Christianity will say, you know, there's a rational acceptance of what happened. I need to understand it, and then I need to live a certain way, followed by a, a, a labor of life in order to meet certain standards. And while, we, yes, we already use our gifts, we understand that we, we have a relationship with our Father. We have a relationship with God through the Spirit. And that results in a personal and corporate worship that should overflow in our worship. What did they do? What did they hear uh, at Pentecost? They hear them what? Declaring the wonders of God. That's what they heard. They heard them declaring the wonders of God. Romans 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Church, our hearts should be filled with joy. And this joy is expressed through praise and worship, isn't it? I love that because we should have so much joy that what? It overflows into praise and worship. It overflows into worship. 
It's, it's so interesting. I, I, uh, I love sitting up here and looking out while folks are worshiping. And you could, there's some folks that sing, and you could tell that, I think you could tell that they're just singing with their mouths and not their hearts. Let it overflow, let it over. And it's like, wow, let the joy come in. It's like, no, we need to be expressive. That joy should be overflowing because we have a relationship with our Father. We read the verse already in Ephesians 5. Be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit. Sing and make music from your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, understand that speaking, singing, and making melody are all in the Greek related to what? Being filled. So you can't, be, you can't sing and make, make, um, uh, speak and make melody without first being filled. You have to understand that you're filled with the Spirit. That you have a relationship with Him and that it outpours into worship. It outpours into worship. Augustine said, Oh, Holy Spirit, descend plentifully into my heart. Enlighten the dark corners of this neglecting dwelling and scatter there thy cheerful beams. John Wesley said, Singing is much more the language of holy joy as praising is of holy desire. We desire to be filled. We are filled, so we have this outpouring of joy. So that's the first thing. We have intimacy with God, therefore we have joy in worship. The second application is we experience the power of the Holy Spirit today. Again, not just a historical account of what happened to the people at Pentecost. We experience that power today, don't we? We experience that power today. How do we experience that power today? Two ways. First off, we are given gifts of service. We have all been given gifts, as it says in the word, gifts of service to use, to be used by God. I do not have the same gifts that Pastor Barry has. I do not have the same gifts that Dr. Keith Curry has. I don't have the same gifts that John Guest has. We all have different gifts. I don't have the same gifts as Dr. Ed Glover. We're all different. God has uniquely designed us. And the Holy Spirit has gifted us to do that. I do not understand how some people can do what they do in ministry. When I look at Pastor Barry and he's passionate about going and meeting with people in the hospital and always just the most caring person that I know. People coming to him with all kinds of needs and he's able to deal with those needs through counseling, through encouragement, through meeting people in the hospital. I think, man, how can somebody do that time and time again so tirelessly and I understand the Spirit has really gifted him to do that. The gift of compassion and care. The gift of encouragement. It's his gift. And he can do it. And he can do it so mightily. Why? Because it's not his gift. It's a supernatural gift. God takes your natural abilities and puts the super into it. And that's what makes it supernatural. He can't do it on our own. I couldn't do this on my own. It's the Holy Spirit working in us that we are able to do this. So God's gifted all of us for ministry, for service. And that's why we all want you to find out what your ministry gifts are. That's why we have our ministry classes here at Christ Church. We go through and we understand what membership is. And we look at maturity to be able to use those gifts. And then we figure out what those gifts actually are. And then we look at how you can use those gifts. So we encourage you, if you have not gone through those classes, encourage you to do that. Understand what your ministry gift is. Secondly, we have the experience of the power of the Holy Spirit through his guiding of our daily life. 
Not only does he empower us with our gifts, but he guides us in our daily life. John 14, 26, Jesus is talking, he says, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things or remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Jesus was telling this to the disciples when? Right before his death. Right before everything was just going to get flipped on its head. They're following Jesus and he's going to die. But what does he say? He says, my counselor, the Holy Spirit, he's going to be with you. One author wrote, you also have a travel companion. When you place your faith in Christ, Christ places his spirit before you, behind you and within you. Not a strange spirit, but the same spirit, the parakletos, the advocate or helper. Everything Jesus did for his followers, his spirit does for you. Jesus taught, the spirit teaches. Jesus healed, the spirit heals. Jesus comforts, the spirit comforts. As Jesus sends you into new seasons, he sends his counselor to go with you. He's our guide in our daily life. He's our guide in our daily life, and he wants us to talk to him. We can have peace. We don't have to fear what's going on around us. That's my favorite verse. It's not going to come up on the screen. My favorite verse, be self-controlled and alert your devil. Uh, excuse me, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your cares upon him before he, because he cares for you. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. How do we cast our cares on him? We first have to be humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. We have to empty ourselves, fill ourselves up with the spirit. Then we can cast our cares on him because we do know that he cares for us. He's our counselor. He's our guide. He's the one that empowers us daily to make the decisions we do. Thirdly, not only we understand that we have joy in worship, not understand that we, we can receive that same power today, but thirdly, we have to break the barriers, don't we? We have to break the barriers. As we already seen, the Galileans weren't looked upon as people that may have been on the socially uh, elite status. They might have not had the same demographic that the other folks did, but God used them mightily. I think it's interesting uh, that we, uh, as Christians, oftentimes when we go to witness, who do we go to? We go to the people that are just like us, don't we? We don't want to go to the people that may be different than us or a different culture than us. Why? Because we just don't, maybe don't know how to relate to them. Or maybe we think, well, God will never use that person. When we looked at Paul a few weeks ago and his, his encounter with Christ with, when he was Saul and he had that, that miraculous conversion on the road, I bet you people never thought that he could ever be used. It was Ananias who said, you know what, I don't know if he's ever going to be used, but I'm going to go because God's telling me to go and show him the way. And look at him now. He went and had all these missionary journeys. We need to break the barriers of saying, you know what? God's never going to use that person. He's too far gone, too old, too cold. Never going to be used by God. We need to be able to say, you know what? I understand through Pentecost that God used people that may have not have been looked at in the same way. May, may have not have been able to be used. We need to break through that and see the possibilities of grace in their life possibilities of grace in their life. When David was anointed as the king, it was Samuel who anointed David, wasn't it? David was just a kid. He was just a kid. But Samuel saw the king inside the kid. He saw the great potential of that young man to make and be an amazing king. 
We need to break the barriers, don't we? One final thought. We not only can have joy in worship, not only empowered by the Spirit, not only do we need to go out and break the barriers and tell others about Christ, but there's going to be rejection. We need to understand that, that there's going to be rejection. As we look at our passage this morning, what happens? People say, looked at them, they go, what are they? They must be drunk. Look at them. Full of wine. There's going to be rejection. We can celebrate the fact that 3,000 people came to Christ today. We have to celebrate that. But it's often overlooked that there were some who didn't. There were some who didn't. We have to understand that there may be rejection in life. But we still are faithful to use our gifts. We are still faithful to go and break those barriers and witness to those around us. John 15, 20 says, Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. I think sometimes we use our gifts and we'll go witness, tell others about Christ, and then we get rejected and we feel like there's something wrong with us. I've done something wrong. And that can be further from the truth. Who moved among the people at Pentecost? The Spirit did. Who got up and preached? Peter did. But who moved among the people? The Spirit did. We use our gifts, but we understand that the Spirit is the one who convicts. We have to be faithful to go, faithful to love them, faithful to break the barriers and go tell them about the personal relationship they can have with God. Closing, it was Billy Graham who said, It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's God's job to judge. But it's my job to love. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the fact of what you can teach us through Pentecost. Father, we, we are so in awe of you, Father, and we declare your wonders. Father, I pray that we can have that overflow of your spirit in us. And we are such in awe of you and your love for us. Father, that we can sing with our hearts this morning. That we can sing with our hearts throughout the week. Father, and that we can really praise you fully. Father, thank you for sending your spirit. Not only gifting us for ministry with our gifts, but being our counselor and guide. Father, I pray that we use our gifts mightily to break the barriers of those around us, Father. Bring folks into our life that we can share with you. And Father, help us to do so without the fear of rejection knowing that you will convict, Father, but you're just asking us to be faithful. I ask that you be with us as we leave this place this morning, and I ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.